everyone, and welcome to season four of The Next Big Thing in Health. I'm your co-host, Laura Evans. And I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, health insurance providers have taken decisive action to support our frontline healthcare workers and make sure that every American can get the health care they need. Now, with multiple COVID-19 vaccines available, health insurance providers are working to ensure that all Americans have easy access to authorized vaccines free of cost. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated. Today is our guest, Dr. William Schrank, Chief Medical Officer for Humana. Dr. Schrank leads the company's value-based care initiatives, which include Humana's focus on population health, quality, home health, and improving health outcomes. Dr. Schrank came to Humana in 2019 from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, where he developed and evaluated population health programs to further advance the medical center's mission as an integrated delivery and financing system. And Dr. Schrank has experience as a practicing physician. Will, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Good to be here. Why don't we go ahead and just jump right in. Um, Of course, we're thinking about COVID so much these days and the crisis. And it sounds like, you know, with recent um, action by um, Food and Drug Administration, we're likely to have some good news around the corner with a vaccine becoming available. So what do you think the latest news is regarding the vaccine and and how will Humana support its members with getting the vaccine or multiple vaccines, you know, when they become available? Well, the news is, you know, really exciting and uh, it's so reassuring to kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel here um, that we will very soon have access to to vaccines and that's going to, really free things up as, as folks uh, are able to um, stop social distancing and, and start resuming their lives. At Humana, we ha- there's a lot we have to do. Uh, and there's a lot we have to do in, in, in sort of working with you all at, at AHIP to think hard about how to make sure that everyone has access to the vaccine, that the process works smoothly, that we provide equitable access to the vaccine. You know, one of the things that's been really uh, hard to watch during the the course of the pandemic is that the pandemic has disproportionately influenced certain populations. Uh, This is not, the the pandemic has not impacted everybody the same. Those who, um, people of color, those who are service workers have been um, adversely affected at a much greater rate. And as we think about the vaccine and the fact that uh, in order for someone to get the vaccine, they need to be willing to get the vaccine. They have to feel like it's a good idea for them. Um, we know from our, our research and research that others have done that there's a lot of hesitancy out there. And that hesitancy is not equally distributed across different populations. It is, you know, it is rural populations. It is, it is populations of color. It's the most vulnerable Americans that are most concerned about getting the vaccine. And it really speaks to our mission that we have to be proactive. We have to be targeted in how we educate our members. We have to be really thoughtful about how we uh, create the right kinds of communications that are culturally sensitive. We really have to be, uh, we really have to stand up for what's right here and make sure that all Americans have equitable access to the vaccine. So for us, there's a lot of effort around how we leverage our data to understand risk how we leverage our data to understand who has or has not gotten 
flu shots or other kind of preventive services in the past to better understand risk. We've been thinking a lot about how to make sure we have rapid access to data when patients are vaccinated so that we can make sure that once they get their first vaccine, they, they do get their second three or four weeks later, um, because we know that rates of adherence are highly variable across the population. Um, we know that there's a lot for us to do here. And we also know that there is, you know, there's a lot of confusion and complexity in the marketplace today around how these how vaccines are going to be distributed, where they're going to be available, what the inventory is going to look like. And um, this is not this is a once this is a once in a career kind of event, the, the, the distribution of this vaccine. And we all we all across the healthcare sector need to work on this together. But health plans in particular, our role with the data we have access to and the deep responsibility we have to our members. This is this is a time we really have to lean in and make sure we get it right. Well, I'm curious about um, you talk about the disparities and and the socioeconomic challenges that we have right now, and and what Humana is doing to address that with the vaccine, and you know talking about the language and the data. And I'm curious what other actions you are discussing at Humana right now to address that, to make sure that the information is out there, um, to educate your members, to um, to make sure that there is appropriate vaccine distribution and to get people, you know, perhaps more interested and more educated. Like what, what is the action plan? I'm I'd like to kind of dig in. Well, Laura, a little you're bit asking, more. I mean, you're asking the right question. Just, I mean, to give you sort of, to take a step back, um, the, the pandemic has influenced our members and all Americans in such a personal way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like there's not some cookie cutter. Everybody's impacted in the same way. We, we, we were calling our members, you know, shortly after the pandemic started and asking them about their chronic conditions, about, you know, the, the sort of the typical standard things that we were calling, that we call patients about to try to help them with their complex chronic disease management. And they're telling us, hey, I can't get to the grocery store to buy food. Or I, I haven't seen another human being in the last couple of weeks. You know, I can't see my kids anymore. I'm so depressed or I'm so lonely. The, the issues around transportation and just around the activities of daily living were so profoundly disrupted by this pandemic. And the, 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 the way in which our, our members and all Americans, we've all, we're all impacted in a really profound way, mm-hmm. whether it's the way our kids are going to school or whether you know, we're able to even spend time with, with you know, frail parents and how we, how we serve as caregivers, we're all being impacted in really, really profound ways. And we as a health plan, uh, like like so many others around, our, yeah, we've we've been really proactive to try to call our members uh, and understand the very personal challenges they're facing. We built a basic needs team to try to address these basic social needs that suddenly became so salient and that were so disrupted by the uncertainty and unpredictability of the of the of the pandemic. This is the kind of approach that we need to we need to apply uh, as the vaccine. Um, uh, becomes available. It's not as though we're going to be able to put a PSA uh, in the local newspaper and assume right. everyone's going to show up. This is personal. Mm-hmm. Some people don't necessarily believe that the vaccine is safe. Some people don't believe in healthcare in the first place or don't believe in that, in, you know, have, have sort of trust issues with the institutions. There's some people that frankly don't believe that the disease is that risky. And there's a whole host of different reasons why people may or may not want choose to uh, to get the vaccine and for us to think that we can come up with a single message and 
and push it out on the on the on the sort of the the, the in the media and think we're going to convince people right. would be unrealistic. It has to be a really personal approach. Okay, and that's what we're prepared to do. Yeah, yeah. So along those lines, and Matt, I want to ask you about this too. Uh, what role? can and should the insurance industry play in the vaccine distribution? And, and so, Will, let me start with you on that. What, what should you guys be doing? Well, I mean, I don't think our role is as much in the distribution itself. I think, um, although many, so many health plans have also service providers, and we own, health, we own primary care physicians that will for, for sure be delivering the vaccine and we're exploring ways that maybe our home care business could be part of the delivery mechanism. But as a health plan that focuses on the health of the population we serve, our orientation really has to be around how do we understand the barriers that our patients are gonna have to getting sort of the treatment that, they, that we know they need to make them safe. And for us, uh, it's gonna be mostly around education, engagement, uh, leveraging our data to understand risk and to understand sort of previous behavior so that we can really have the most informed and meaningful conversations with our members as we possibly can. Matt, you agree with that? Oh, a- absolutely. And, you know, just to even sort of take it up a level, right, we've been thinking about the health insurance provider's role really since uh, March and April when we knew that these vaccines were starting to be developed and you know, we're grateful that they've been developed as quickly as they have, but it's a very complicated undertaking when you're thinking about multiple vaccines, multiple doses, um, you know, extreme handling conditions for some of them, um, and then overcoming uh, all of the challenges that Will has identified, whether it be around education, vaccine hesitancy, um, just uh, you know, where they're going to be administered, right? Because we know it's going to start um, in uh, certain locations with uh, those that, you know, have great experience in administering vaccines, and then it's going to go out more broadly to the population and making sure, um, to, to Will's point, that the population um, gets prioritized based on the greatest needs. And that's where I think, um, you know, the unique role of health insurance providers uh, can, can play with using their data to understand, again, if people have different chronic conditions are particularly susceptible to um, being affected by the disease, right? How do we get them vaccinated first while those that, you know, maybe are able to work remotely, right? Essential workers are a great example as we think about those who are in certain occupations that are exposed, that have a greater propensity to be exposed. Um, And of course, you know, there's coverage at the end and, you know, our industry is very much committed to making sure that patients, uh, our, our collective members get access to the vaccine without any costs, right? I mean, that's really the commitment that's been made both by the government and I think by our industry is making sure that cost isn't a barrier when it comes to getting you know, vaccinated. Now, there's a lot of underlying complexity to that and there's a lot of things that need to happen, but you know, when you boil it down, it's how do we get as many people vaccinated as quickly, simply uh, as as we possibly can to get back to something that resembles a little bit more normalcy. Mm-hmm. We know that testing has been a challenge and, you know, it's a challenge, uh, you know, even nine months into it, especially as we've seen a resurgence in the virus and thinking about adequate supplies of it. 
What do you think the current state of testing is right now for the country, uh, Will? What do you think we could be doing better? Well, I think the, the biggest opportunity we have is really uh, around clarifying who needs testing and when. I think there's a, a tremendous amount of confusion out there. Um, you know, the, the CDC just recently changed its quarantining um, expectations that we previously said, if you go somewhere, uh, you should quarantine for 14 days. Now it's seven days on a negative test or 10 days. The, 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 the sort of fluidity of the facts and the fluidity of the recommendations and the sort of continual, this, this was not a pandemic that anyone had evidence about at the outset around how to manage, right? This is something we've been consistently synthesizing and, and, and digesting as more and more evidence has come through. And our ability to make this easy and, and simple and straightforward for Americans is challenged by the reality that this is not, this is not like uh, something that we've, you write about in the textbooks and we all knew exactly what to do. We're, we're making that the playbook is sort of being written as we're playing it. And I, I, I think uh, this is a huge opportunity for us as health plans. I think we're, you know, many of us are working hard in this area to try to be a, a, a mechanism for support is to make it easy for our members to know, A, where do, do they need a test? B, where do they get a test? See what kind of test makes the most sense for them, considering what questions they're trying to answer. For us, we made a big, a big sort of um, commitment to making tests available in our members' homes. So we've we announced a, a partnership with LabCorp, uh, and when our members, uh, so we have a health bot on our on our website, and a, a, our members can input their conditions and their and sort of something about their 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 past medical history to get a better sense of the kind of risk they have and the the bot uh care stratifies their risk and makes suggestions about whether or not they need to be seen in person whether or not they need a test and what the appropriate next step is um and the goal is to get as many of those people tested in the homes they don't have to go and expose others or be exposed themselves uh in a clinical setting that's one ev one piece of evidence or one piece of one strategy, one tactic we've applied to try to make it easier for people. But I think the biggest challenge out there is I think people are confused. And I'll tell you, when I talk to family members or I talk to friends, I, I, you don't get the same story if you talk to three different friends about, you know, how they would how they would react to a certain kind of exposure when they think a test is necessary or where they'd go to get a test. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 would, I just think it's really, really incredibly important. It's less you know, at the outset, it was really like, do we have enough tests? We need to do more tests. We need to do more tests. We don't have enough supply. It, it, there are still some supply issues, surely, but the issue now is around really clarifying for all Americans what they should do and how they should manage themselves and how do we make this simpler for people. Yeah. When you think of the beginning of this and where we are now and how much we've learned, I mean, as you said, it's so unprecedented I and mean, we've learned so much and, and really uh, such a short period of time. Health insurance providers are working around the clock to ensure that all Americans can receive a COVID-19 vaccine free of cost. 
That includes partnering with state and local public health authorities to identify individuals who should be placed at the front of the line to receive the vaccine. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated. Switching gears now, Humana, one of the largest Medicare Advantage plans in the country. So I'm, I'm curious, Will, what is top of mind for you when you think about seniors and people with disabilities heading into the new year, into 2021? Um, you know, it's interesting because there's, uh, there's, there's so much uncertainty around the pandemic, and that ain't going away anytime soon. And mm-hmm. we have a whole host of top of mind issues to try to figure out I mean, the, the, the delivery and the safe uh, and appropriate adoption and administration of the vaccine is one of the great um, public health interventions in this country's history. And getting that right in the next six, eight months is top of mind, has to be top of mind for all of us. At the same time, you know, it's really interesting, and Matt and I have talked about this in the past, that the the you don't like talking about silver linings during a, a, a truly tragic and really you know, a time that's been really hard for so many people. But our healthcare system, which I think everyone always says is sort of hard, it's hard. It doesn't evolve that quickly. It doesn't change fast. We've learned it can. And in the last eight nine months, we've seen remarkable, remarkable, remarkable evolution, transformation, adoption of technology whether it's telehealth, whether it's the use of data and analytics in more progressive ways, whether it's increasing care in the home, um, we've seen a real, real change in how we organize and deliver healthcare. And as I look into 2021, I think a lot about how we build on some of those gains. I would say over, you know, as a trained, as a training physician or a practicing physician, I spent most of my time thinking about how can I be most efficient? How do I optimize my workflow? How do I make sure that I see as many patients in a day as possible? And now in my current seat, I'm thinking about the patient's workflow. I'm thinking about where the, how to get the right care to the patient that's most convenient to them. I'm trying to think about how to make sure that the efficiency is around the life and the existence and the experience of our members. And if we can truly make that shift a healthcare system that focuses on the patient as a consumer, that delivers care and services to where the to the to the right place at the right to the in in the in the workflow of the patient's life, we'll have done something incredibly special. And we now realize that we can use the technology that we have in hand to do that. And we realize that there is enough service delivery to be able to deliver the right kinds of services at home to be able to do that. And we are able to create the right kind of integrated care delivery system that allows our primary care docs and our home care providers and our pharmacists to all communicate in a meaningful and coordinated way. There, this, this, I feel like 2021 is the beginning of something really special where we really do see a disruption in some of the sort of stagnant and, and sclerotic ways that healthcare is delivered in this country. And we start, you know, we really start getting better.
Yeah, 2020 has been a reset on so many levels in so many ways, not really the reset that anybody wanted <laughs> in such a, a, a critical way, but um, but it certainly has made us see things in so many different ways. Um, I, I want to focus on something that you, you brought up earlier. You talked about how your members were calling you and saying, I'm alone, I'm isolated. And we've had these conversations over and over again with different um, guests on the show. Um, and and. I'm curious because you also talk about adapting and how things have changed um, since COVID began, since the pandemic began and with telehealth and how, you know, you've gotten up to speed so quickly. I'm wondering if the mental health, because that's been an underlying condition through this whole experience, if insurance companies, if Humana is adapting and, and putting more importance on treating mental health, if that's become kind of risen to the top of we need to really focus on helping our members with their mental health and making that a priority. Well, we have, we have, and um, it's, uh, you know, th this is, this is, this was, this was somewhat reactive, um, but I, because of the sort of the needs of the, 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 the members that we serve, but we tried, uh, we tried as hard as we could to make sure we really facilitated the, the kind of care and the kind of access that's necessary. So at the outset of the pandemic, we eliminated cost sharing for all virtual care, regardless of, of what kind of care it was, but including behavioral health. And I've eliminated all cost sharing for, for the entirety of 2020 for all behavioral health services. And just as you know, Matt was saying earlier about about the vaccine and about some of the you know efforts we've had around the pandemic, we just one one key area is to make sure there is no financial barrier to people getting the behavioral health care that they need. The other thing that's been really sort of salient for us is that it is pretty hard to disconnect the the challenges in people's lives that are very personal. And the the behavioral health concerns or the mental health concerns that they're that they're suffering from, they're they're all deeply intertwined. And frankly, they're all dinner, also intertwined with their physical health conditions. It, it is it is particularly now now more than ever we realize the deep integration, and we can't really talk about, we can't really silo out someone's behavioral health concerns, their social challenges, and their physical concerns we have really accelerated this notion of physical behavioral health integration. This notion that you have to think about those together. You have to think about the, the sort of the entirety, the holistic experience of our members uh, and rather than, than sort of managing them as a series of conditions, try to really think about how you pull all those, those, those challenges and barriers together and try to manage the holistic set of challenges of our members. We, you know, we, 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 um, this is another case where, you know, I, I believe we're going to see a meaningful difference in how we manage behavioral health in the years to come as a result of sort of the urgency, um, uh, the, you know, the, the sense of, of real profound need that we've that's been introduced over the last nine, 10 months. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, as Will mentioned, not to say that there are lots of silver linings here. But I think the recognition around mental health, and I heard a, a fascinating statistic today uh, in an earlier conversation about telemedicine and mental health, and that of the people who were um, taking advantage of mental health services through telemedicine, um, you know, over especially earlier uh, in the pandemic, 40% of them, if it was not for telemedicine, wouldn't have 
done anything, right? Mm. Really has sort of expanded access in a fundamentally different way because people are either more comfortable uh, going through technology. They don't want to maybe have to take the time to find, um, you know, a, a mental health professional to help them to travel to their office or engage sort of on their terms. And that it really has unlocked this amazing new potential in a way that we can address mental health challenges in a, in a new way going forward. And I would also just like to brag on Matt a little bit. They, you know, part of what the, uh, part of the acceleration of the use of telehealth and the use of telehealth for such a, a much broader array of kind of clinical needs came from uh, a really strong relationship between the health plans, uh, you know, largely led by AHIP and CMS to kind of really be nimble and flexible and reactive to an environment that needed a different set of waivers, a different set of rules, a different way of paying for healthcare. Um, and the flexibilities that were afforded through that sort of that relationship with PMS and their, their, their nimbleness allowed us to be a lot more um, responsive to the needs of our members. We're, you know, we're really grateful for that kind of partnership and for, for AHIP's um, leadership in that area. That's great. That's great. So, Will, let me ask you also about the research piece of this. Um, I know, Humana, your role is uh, heavily focused on research. And i um, curious what questions you're looking at right now and, and trying to answer in that research. Well, we, you know, we have a, we have a like many other plans, we have a really um, robust research organization that um, helps us to understand the impact of our clinical programs and our clinical efforts on the health and the health outcomes and the experiences of our members. I will say that, you know, sort of in keeping with the, the line of questioning here, um, that we're doing a lot around COVID to try to really understand the, the what, what to anticipate in our members. So we know we've, we've gone out of our way as have others to try to figure out how to reduce what we're calling medical distancing. Social distancing is common. We don't want medical distancing, whether it's the virtual care, whether it's by sending masks to all of our members to try to you know, encourage them to feel safer when they do go to see the doctor. We're, we're, we're doing really everything we can to try to make sure that we maintain those connections between our members and their primary care docs and those who, do, who are regular, their routine um, providers of care. That said, we know that there's a lot of a lot of folks who haven't gotten some routine screenings, that haven't gotten uh, uh, that haven't gotten their preventive care, that haven't uh, been able to sort of adhere to care pathways for reasons that are totally understandable. And it is incumbent on us to really understand who's at risk and what kind of risk um, our members are experiencing because of those changes in care patterns. So we are diving really, really deep into um, the sort of the, the trajectories of care of our members. Who's, what are the types of care that have been averted? What are the types of preventive care, the types of chronic care that has been um, influenced? And what are the meaningful short-term and longer-term risks that our members are gonna face? How can we sort of adjust in our, um, in our care delivery approach to try to really support this broad set of risks and, and unique uh, challenges that our members are facing as a result of the pandemic. 
Um, so the goal here of this research is both to learn something that we will share and you know we'll we'll aim to publish in this in the peer-reviewed literature and share with um, with the scientific community in general so that everybody can benefit, but also to really help us manage our members better and to be very targeted about who needs what kind of additional services and additional kinds of outreach we can best uh, avert adverse outcomes uh, that are related to path care pathway changes from the pandemic. Well, you've been really generous with your time here today and really generous with your comments too. I uh, really appreciate that about uh, AHIP. Um, I know Humana is so deeply involved in focused on value-based care. And this is a type of question that we like to ask all of our uh, 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 people who join us on the podcast about what's next. So what's the next big thing you think uh, in value-based care? So, um, well, first I will say that I, the one thing that's been awesome to see is how well, how much better providers in value-based arrangements over the course of the last 10 months, how much better they can care for their members than those in fee-for-service arrangements. Providers that weren't worried about RVUs, that weren't worried about maintaining volume, that were just really focused on, they were prepaid or they had a, you know, the right kind of financial alignment to, to be rewarded for doing the best thing for their patients. They were much faster at adopting telehealth. They were much, they maintained much more frequent and, and, um, and, and current contact with their, with their members, with their patients, with chronic conditions. They, they flexed in a lot, of, a lot of really unique and wonderful ways. And that, was, uh, that, that opportunity was afforded through a value-based arrangement. So to some extent, I believe, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm sort of, we're getting that sense now as we're out talking to our providers and negotiating contracts and for next year and the years to come, that this experience is gonna really, is really gonna only enhance and strengthen the desire and demand for value-based arrangements. I think there's recognition that by working together, health plans and, and providers, rather than, uh, than, than in, in sort of, not necessarily in, in lockstep, that we can do better for our members, we can do better for our patients, we can better promote health. I think the next big thing in value-based, first of all, I, I think we're gonna, I think more and more providers are gonna realize this notion of taking full risk and being prepaid and having the wherewithal, the, the financial stability and the orientation around truly improving the health of the population they serve. The same kind of orientation that you know I wake up thinking about every day is it's, it's, it's really aligned with the reason that they went to medical school, the reason they want, you know, their ability to truly help people. And I do think that's something that's gonna only build momentum and we're gonna see more and more of that capitated prepaid um, uh, sort of model of, of, of caring. The other thing is, I, the other area that I think is gonna be really interesting is this notion of how do we get to a place where um, providers that care for socially vulnerable people are not penalized. We know that if you're taking care of people who um, are socially vulnerable, uh, they're, you know, they, they're less likely to adhere to their medications. They're less likely to adhere to care plans. They're less likely to participate in certain, they, they are, they're more costly in ways that, that 
extend beyond their chronic conditions. And the, I think the next phase, the future phase of value-based models is to reward, or is to, 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 to pay physicians based on risk, not just the, not to risk adjust payment, not just based on clinical risk, but on social risk. And to have a much more fulsome, holistic view of the risk of the patients that, that any provider uh, cares for uh, and really aligns the payment with the outcomes we're trying to produce, which is not just good care and lower cost care, but equitable care. And I think it's through payment models like that we're ultimately going to get there. Dr. Will Schrank, thank you for joining us today. We're so glad that you were able to spend a little bit of time with us. It was great. It is my pleasure. Anytime. Vaccines save lives, and they're essential to helping us overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Health insurance providers are actively working with their local, state, and federal partners to ensure widespread uptake of COVID-19 vaccines and halt the spread of the disease. Working together, we can and will overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated.